All right, welcome dog moms and dads to our show where we discuss the everyday joys and challenges of pet parenting. I'm your host, Jen. And I'm Ashley. And this is a dog mom podcast presented by Zippy Paws. like dancing today this is gonna be a tough one well i think the little dance break kind of helps ease us into today's topic which is gonna be a a, kind of a heavier one um but i think i'm gonna try to make it fairly positive um what today we're gonna talk about um like being asian american um and being an asian american business owner and you know um i feel like there's been a lot happening in our world recently and kind of wanted to address that not in like a political way in any sense but um you know we have a little platform here whether that's you know our 10 youtube viewers or (laughs) our few dozen listeners i i still think we have Um, a platform and I've thought about whether or not to talk about talk about this because it is kind of a sensitive subject and I don't want it to be um, construed as a political Um, but I feel like um, I do want to talk about it a little bit and um, so hopefully it goes well. I think it's overdue. I think it's something that you and I personally talk about a lot and part of the reason that we started this podcast was to share the conversations that we had. And I I do, I think it's, it's overdue. There have been a lot of things that have just been exemplified since the pandemic started. I don't think that they were created when coronavirus hit by any means, but it brought a lot to the surface. And I know you and I have also talked about, again, kind of touching on that political aspect. We don't want things to be political. I don't think we want that for this podcast. I don't think we want that for Zippy Paws as a brand, but I also think that when something is so inanely personal, you you have to kind of at least use your soapbox for something remotely positive and informative too. And I think that that's where a lot of people and a lot of brands go wrong is they, they embrace this idea of what I like to call performance activism. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it means nothing, right? It, it's um, They're standing on an empty soapbox. And they don't really have much information to share, but I think that you're able to share very personal stories. And that is a, a human way to help people learn, I think. I think that's right, the best way to right. put it. Yeah, and I don't mean to say I have um, any solutions or anything like that but I just want to kind of come here and talk about my experiences and you know it's we can't not talk about the fact that I am Asian American um, and I, I think it's just a chance for me to to start the conversation um, and also hear about what other people have to say too so I'm you mean interested. we're not fixing the problem on this podcast <laughs> feel like I was misled. I have, we have one hour <laughs> to fix all of the issues and uh, let's start now. <laughs> I mean, I think you should probably start 
maybe with your personal experiences, what it was like growing up and really sharing your story. Yeah. Um, well, I think I'll just go back all the way um, to my parents. They came to the U.S. in the 80s. Um, they worked, before that, they worked in the Middle East, and um, they came to the U.S. Um, and started their own their own company, kind of like how, how I did. Um, and my dad was the importer for another dog toy manufacturer, as some of you may know. Um, and I was born here in LA, um, but at three months, I, um, they took me back uh, to China and I was partially raised by my grandparents and I stayed there until I was six or seven. So English is not my first language. I learned, um, I learned Chinese first and um, second grade. In the middle of like second grade, I was plucked out of my class and my parents were like, oh, we'll go to um, the US uh, for a vacation. And I was so excited because I could go to Disneyland. It's like something I've always wanted to do. Um, and then I just never went back home. So all my <laughs> friends back home were like, where did she go? Where did she go? <laughs> Why is she never coming home? <laughs> Oh, uh, it's it's kind of funny, but um, once that happened, obviously I had to learn English really quickly. I remember I was put in a, um, a second grade classroom, and my teacher assigned um, a girl uh, who knew a little bit of Chinese to be like my seat partner, so she could kind of like um, translate a couple of things for me. But I was like oblivious. Like on my first day of school, I. I went to class and I was just like swinging my legs because I could not understand anything. Um, and I had to like really catch up. And I had to ask my teacher for like um, worksheets with like kindergarten level material, like cat, like how to spell dog. Um, so everybody else was working on like sentences and stuff. And I was like working on like hat, cat. And so. I don't know. I don't even know if people made fun of me because I couldn't understand it anyway. <laughs> so that was a fun experience. Um, and then I, I learned English pretty quickly in about six months or a year. Because when you're a kid, you like, you know, That's what you're, I was gonna say. Yeah, you're thrust in that environment and and you pick it up really quickly. So. Uh, so I did that and I was really good at math because you don't need English to learn uh, to do math so I was like talk my class in math um I was like the weird kid that didn't really speak but got like the best <laughs> grades in math the silent genius <laughs> oh yeah so that that's kind of like my experience um I and growing up I I grew up in the suburbs of LA so we had a lot of Asians and the high school that I went to was maybe like 65-75% Asian. So I never felt out of place because I know a lot of people who grew up in the States, they were like the only Asian person in their class or they faced a lot of, um, you know, racism growing up and that wasn't the case for me. Um, so I think I got a lot of confidence in myself. Like I didn't think of myself as like, an outsider or anything like that. Um, so I was lucky in that regard. Um, and then growing up, um, after that, I didn't necessarily um, face a lot of outright racism um, towards towards me. The only um, event that really stood out to me was 
maybe when I was like 20 something, like 24 or something, and I went to Chicago with my friend, and on the street, this woman yelled out to me, she said, go back to your own country, like, we don't want you here, that, so that was like the only outright racism that I, I felt that was directed at me from a complete random stranger, um, and my friend um, did not back me up, so um, I kind of laughed it off, but like, I remember when I was like walking away, like I had tears in my eyes, and like I didn't want him to see, um, I don't know, it's just, that was like, I was kind of like in shock, maybe, I didn't really understand why somebody would do that, and I didn't really want to address it with him, so we just kind of like left it, and I feel like that's, um, that's kind of like with our upbringing too, right, you always hear about Asian people saying like, um, there's a phrase in Chinese, it's called, meaning you eat bitterness meaning um like if you're hardworking and you eat your bitterness that's a good thing right like you shouldn't be showing all of your bitterness or like the hard work like you should just eat it um so that's kind of like how we were taught while we were growing up um so i think this everything that's happening in the world right now is a good way for us to practice speaking up right so that was the that was kind of a traumatic experience for me like thinking about it um but another like thing that I want to talk about is kind of like these like little microaggressions and I remember um yesterday when I showed you this outline you were like wow people do that like you didn't know yeah, the concept know. is just it's just so foreign to me, and I don't know if it's because I was raised in a multicultural family. Um, my mom is half Filipino, so I'm Filipino and Russian, and those are two very, very, very <laughs> fundamentally different upbringings. Um, well, there's some, there's some crossover, but yeah, it. I think it just comes down to the fact that I was raised to be respectful, and it would never. I don't know, it would never cross my mind to walk up and to speak to someone in what I assumed was their mother tongue, especially knowing what I do about Asian cultures. They're all very different. You know, mm -hmm. they they have fundamental likeness, and I think that you can attribute that to cultures from all over the world, but they hold their culture very dear, and I think that language like names, like when you mispronounce someone's name, you know, misreading someone's language is very, very offensive, at least to me. So I don't, maybe it, I, I don't know. I, I have nothing. I'm still just in shock. <laughs> so the, um, the thing in question that Ashley's talking about is I wrote down like little examples of like microaggressions that I've experienced. Um, and one of them is random people coming up to me and saying, konnichiwa, or other hellos in other Asian languages. Um, which I, it surprised me that you didn't know because I mean, I guess why should I be surprised? Because it would only happen to, to Asian people. It's like they will come up to me and they'll go through the Rolodex of hellos in the Asian languages that they know. Usually like they say ni hao, which is the Chinese, um, hello. And I would just, 
play it off or i would um lie to them be like oh i'm korean um i don't understand and then usually they don't know the word for hello in korean so they get stumped um and sometimes they'll say konnichiwa which is japanese or they they try like different other like languages and i'm like I don't know what you want me to say. Do you want me to start speaking to you in Chinese? Because then you wouldn't, you know, respond back with anything. Yeah. Like, all you know is ni hao, right? And then I would say, what if I just, like, responded in, like, full Chinese? What would you do? Yeah. What I mean, <laughs> like, and aren't there different, there are different versions of of Chinese to speak too, depending on where you grew up within China. There are different, I, I don't think you can, you can compare yeah. them to like dialects, but it's still, again, it, it's someone, it's the fundamental core of someone's culture. I just think it's a dangerous thing to assume. I, I just think, I don't know. I don't know if it's necessarily like, I've never taken it where I feel like it's insulting because I just don't feel that way. Um, maybe I should, I don't know, but I personally don't. I just think that they're trying to relate to me just based on how I look. Um, they're trying to like, I don't know, either be funny or maybe flirt or something. Like they want a reaction from me. Um, and maybe they know it's a little bit insulting. So they want me to respond with anger it's a or yeah, it's a conversation attempt, it's just but... like something for them to like start talking to me and usually i just like have like you know my poker face like i don't show any emotion and then they just they're like annoyed that i'm not you know showing any emotion um and then there are other things which i think a lot of asian people know that like we get the question, where are you from? Where are you really from? Where are your parents from? Where did you come from? Like any version of that question is super, super common. Um, I don't know. It's just like, why, why do, you, do you ask anybody else that? Like that's maybe, maybe with other um, cultures, they do ask that. But I don't know of any other cultures where you go and like you start saying english you're like you don't see a white person you start saying like german hello in german or like hello in french and hello in spanish and like go down the list so that's i think kind of unique to asians but it's yeah very very common yeah i think the closest i've gotten to that is some lady on the train told me that she just looked at me point blank and said you don't look like you're american where are you from she goes are you european one like there's so what it's so hard to tell too i don't know like what you're looking for but even that right. was offensive to me although i i have no problem not looking american but it's just it's such a bizarre conversation starter i think mm -hmm. it just that's something that's something that can be so easily taught from a young age and could that whole that whole concept can just be ended really quickly i think in a generation by simply explaining what's wrong with it and how even though your intentions may be good like let's think positively and assume mm -hmm. that they're not trying to be a certain way um and I say this with an eye roll for those of you listening and not watching but it doesn't matter what your intentions are how how it lands is the only thing that's important and it's offensive and I think that it's really easy to just not do it yeah I think there's so 
it's just so easy to not do it and there's so many other things to talk about um if you are approaching you know a girl that you think you want to talk to or any you know person in in general like you can talk about anything else other than how like their race you know you can you can compliment them on how they look maybe i don't know but you know the fact that you're just trying to like make a little connection based on like what ethnicity they are like i mean at best it's like cringe inducing okay like nobody it's not like oh my gosh let me go on a date with you because you guessed my correct asian yes um yeah that's just like not gonna happen um (laughs) and i think if you if you know enough about the culture where you would be able to hold a viable conversation about i'm just gonna quote you asianness you would know not to ask and not to assume right like just don't like if it comes up in conversation of course we'll talk about it i'll tell you i'm chinese you know i know how to speak mandarin things like that like it's a conversation but it, it like you're just using my asianness to start to strike up a conversation and it's it's not gonna go anywhere like what do you expect me to say you know it's kind of like the bad pickup lines and it, it just doesn't it doesn't work um so so um I mean, we're talking about this now because there's been a huge uptick in um, reported crimes against Asian Americans. Um, And I say reported because it happens all the time. It's just that we don't get a lot of publicity on it. And with the recent events, um, especially with the Atlanta shootings, like people um, who probably haven't been um, involved... Yeah. now is aware and now they're hearing a lot of stories about hate against asian americans and i with with covid um and how some some people in some news outlets call it like the china virus it's it's just a lot of um negativity around how we approach it right like there's no need and we're gonna get into kind of like Um, how we see that in the pet industry as well in a little bit but I think it's just like it's hurtful rhetoric and it's unnecessary um, because it kind of helps to perpetuate um, something bad about a culture or a country and we, we just don't need that you know it's it's unnecessary and it's hurtful and we can see that it's hurtful because a lot of um asian americans are being beat up on the street a lot of it are elderly i don't know why you think it's okay to beat up like grandmas and that's, grandpas. that's that is next level to me and without trying to get too passionate about it if i ever see someone attack push shove hit i mean anything anyone elderly i you're gonna have to bail me out of jail i just there's <laughs> There's just no, there's no place for it. And I don't understand what point you're trying to get across going after, you know, the weakest of communities, right? Like it's bad enough that you feel the need to be ugly to another human being, but going after the elderly is ridiculous. I, there's, there's no other way to put it. And I think the video that surfaced yesterday 
of mm-hmm. an Asian woman being attacked outside of a hotel. And oh, then the I was security, just going to talk about that. The, the security guard does nothing. And I think that's, that's the conversation that we can have that's helpful where, you know, step in. I understand people don't want to necessarily walk into conflict, but if you're, if you're shutting a door on somebody and just walking away and allowing that to happen, you are actively part of the problem. And for anybody that doesn't want to hear that, I apologize, but that's the unfortunate truth. I think, I mean, it was, it was rough. It was, that was yeah. hard to watch. It was so hard to watch, especially with the force that the man attacked the lady. I think she was like 65 years old. Um, that's only a few years older than my mom. So I, it's like heartbreaking to think that it could be your own mother um, walking down the street doing like, you know, errands and she's violently attacked and kicked by someone for no apparent reason. And then the security of the the hotel, I mean, your job is security. Like, okay, I might understand if you're just a, someone uh, walking, you have your own life. I mean... I don't know if I can understand, but like I can understand a little bit better. Like you, you have your own life and you have to, to get to your own stuff. I don't know. But your literal job is security. I mean, you're just standing there and they just close the door on her yeah, while she a, was on the coward. ground. I'm sorry. He's he's a coward. That's that's all I see when I watch that. Like. And, and like I can understand if you're a woman or you're a smaller person, you don't want to put yourself in harm's way, but call somebody who can come. Be like, hey, I just witnessed something. Like maybe give your statement to the police or something. Because you know I've had um, situations where I was in a car accident or something, and I wish there were people to corroborate with my story. And you know my parents got into a car accident. Um, a few years ago where the guy ran the red light and hit them and um, he actually didn't have insurance and he didn't really get in trouble um, for causing the accident because they had no proof that he ran the red light but there were so many other people in the intersection like if you see something like give your give your statement so that there's proof right and luckily the guy went to jail because he had an outstanding warrant but I mean, for this accident, he didn't really get into any trouble. Um, So I think if you witness something like that, if you don't want to personally intervene, get somebody who can call the police or call the police or, um, you know, take a video. Or simply shout, right? I feel like, yeah, once you shout, other people feel like it's okay to get involved because it's we have this weird herd mentality where, oh, no one's getting involved. I don't want to be the person to do it. So yeah. if you're if you're small or if you're elderly and and you're concerned, shout, hey, stop. And kind of what you are getting ready to touch on too, pull out your phone. People don't want to be on camera committing a crime. That is the quickest way to to stop something, I would mm-hmm. say, without getting involved. That could have been done through the window. Um, obviously, you know, you never know if somebody is carrying a weapon or carrying a gun and you have to protect yourself as well in order Mm -hmm. to, to help other people. I don't think either of us are suggesting everyone go out and be, be heroes and just get in the middle Mm -hmm. of it. But there are so many different things that you can do to stop it. 
And yeah, I'm not saying you have you should be a vigilante or something and like chase a guy down and like all that <laughs> stuff. Like, but just doing something because a lot of times people are kind of in shock. Like I feel like this too when I'm in a situation where I don't know what to do. I tend to not react first.、Um, you know how people have like this fight or flight、um, tendency when they go into like these type of situations. My Thing is, neither. I'm just like standing there. I just I don't really know what to do. I kind of just freeze.、Um, so sometimes it takes that person to be like, "Hey, that's wrong," for me to be like, "Oh yeah, let's act," right?、Um, so it, it, and that's normal. I feel like that's、yeah. the majority of people. Yes, yes. And I want to also touch upon、um, a website for some resources. It's called. Um, ihollaback dot org, and they <laughs> it's i h o l l a back dot org, and they talk about the five D's of bystander intervention. And I wanted to touch upon this. I don't want to get into this. Spend too much time on it, but、um, they talk about in in situations where you see something like this, what should you do? And they're pretty easy to、um, remember. They're the five D's: distract, delegate, document. Delay and direct. So distracting is kind of like、um, maybe we can diffuse a situation、um, by distracting from the violence or delegating, which is like、um, you take on a leadership role in that situation. You'd be like, "Hey, call the police. Hey,、um, make sure you know if, if someone's bleeding. Hey, get them a tourniquet. And you, please go find some something." And that sometimes when people are in shock, they need that like urge, right? They need someone to tell them this is what they can do. And if you break it down into like little segments,、uh, it's easier for people to understand like what they should be doing.、Um, and then documenting, of course, is just to、um, you know take a photo, take a video with your phone, or like check their license plate number, or、um, make a mental image of what the perpetrator looked like, things like that. Um, and then delay and direct. So、uh, I don't really want to get into those,、um, but this is like a really good resource、um, for us, for all of us to kind of like learn and think about what we should do in those kind of situations. So when it actually happens,、um, we have a better、uh, we we know we kind of like practice it already. You know, it's like earthquake drill. Like you practice it a few <laughs> times, and then when it actually happens, you're like, okay. Here's what I need to do. So I'm gonna kind of shift gears a little bit, and I think it, it's worth speaking about, you know, being an Asian American-owned company in the pet industry, and just kind of delving a little bit more into that. Like, how how does it affect our company if it does, and You know, what do you think you have? You had to overcome anything? What do you think are you know? I don't want to say necessarily hurdles, but yeah, I I don't feel like there were any hurdles necessarily that I've had to overcome. I honestly don't. I don't like. I don't wake up and think, "Oh, I'm an Asian American, right?" Like I'm just. I just think I'm American, right? And I'm just the same as everybody else. Um, I've had、um, experiences that are my own, but、um, 
but I don't I feel like I'm at a disadvantage or I'm necessarily at an advantage just because of how I look. So in the pet industry, I think there are some things that um, we can do better. Uh, for example, like um, there's a lot of negativity around um, products or food made in China. And yes, there have been instances in the past where um, dogs have gotten sick because of ingredients um, that they've added like rawhide. And um, I think maybe 15 years ago, there was something with food. So there has been something circulating in the pet industry recently about um, racism on the packaging of dog food. They would say things like no ingredients sourced from China or like no Chinese ingredients or stuff like that. And I, I think I understand where they're coming from because, I mean, admittedly, it was ingredients coming from China that were making the dog sick but I think now we have such strict testing and regulations that it's harmful to keep saying that um you know if you're a dog food company and you want to talk about um your sourcing of product you can say your you source ingredients from the USA or you source from Canada or you know you're made in Canada messaging plays a huge role because it's so you don't even realize it right like it's Mm -hmm. just as easy to say all products sourced in canada and the united states versus nothing's coming from china and i think simply doing that is getting the messaging that you want across to your point you know you can understand why where the ingredients are sourced from would be important but it's also not putting a negative connotation on an entire culture of people Right, right. And something that happened um, maybe 15 years ago is not uh, something that's happening today. It might be, but I mean, it's just it's just better to like not even touch upon that because it's just bringing negativity and it's like reinforcing the idea that people might have, which is like everything that comes from China is bad or it's low quality or something you know um and it's just we don't need this kind of rhetoric and i've seen a lot of um pet influencers um being involved in this and emailing these uh, manufacturers and most of them have been really gracious and have said that they will work on removing this type of language from their packaging which is awesome you know and like we're not here to like condemn you really we're allowing you the opportunity to change and to do better and if you do that and you kind of like listen to us um that that means you're a great company and um we don't really fault you for for writing that in the first place because i i see where they came from you know i see why they would do that in the beginning yeah i think um it's as simple as having a conversation and explaining the why behind your logic because some people just don't understand the psychological ramifications of of the mm-hmm. rhetoric that they're putting out and i think that if anything this hopefully ends up being enlightening for for companies for brands for people for everyone and just how how to get your messaging across in a way that's inclusive for everybody even if you're even if your target market is very very exclusive you can still you can still put out branding that that isn't 
offensive and isn't harmful to people. Yeah, agreed. And in terms of zippy paws, I don't think it actually affects any any of our day-to-day lives or our messaging or anything like that. I mean, um, I think a lot of people don't even know that the founder of Zippy Paws is Asian American um, because I don't necessarily um, put that. It's not like... Uh, it's not in bold I, letters on our website. Yeah, I don't advertise it. I don't necessarily... Because a lot of people now are um, shining a light on Asian-owned um businesses or black owned businesses which i think is great um you know if you want to purchase from uh, those kind of companies then then that's awesome but i don't necessarily for me personally like i don't necessarily need to be included because i i just put out product and if you like the product and you like our brand um that's what i want to be known for um the fact that i'm asian doesn't really like Really, it's not like a ne- positive or negative to me in any way. It's just a f- matter of fact, right? Um, and I think it's a positive though, especially now because you have a platform. People can see what you've created and you're able to put out even the messaging in this podcast. You're able to reach an audience and share a story in a positive way, which I think embodies everything that Zippy Pause is. I mean, we've gone through a lot as a collective in the last year and a half. And I don't think that the Zippy Pause has ever broached anything tricky in a way that is, you know, negative or that is too heavy, but it's able to to shine a light on something that is very real and is mm-hmm. continuing to happen in a way that's very much Zippy Pause. And by that, I mean, it's very much you. Yeah, and I hope it comes across that way. Um, and you know, I feel like we've kind of dealt with this a little before, but you know, all of our products are made in China. Our manufacturers are made in Ch- are in China, and you know, we have very strict um, regulations, and we have a, do a lot of testing for our customers too, um, because our customers require um, testing, and we've always passed um, with no issues. We've been doing this. My dad has been doing this for I don't know, twenty five, thirty. 30 years maybe yeah I, I'm he's been doing it longer than I've been alive so it's been like 30 something years um, so we know what we're doing and we always are looking to improve our quality um, we don't our, our safety is uh, a huge concern of ours so I mean I don't think that made in China is a negative in any way um, we're an American company and we source um, our products from China. I, it's just what it is, right? And um, I hope that people can um, disassociate the, the low quality with made in China um, in our lifetime because I don't think it's true. Um, it really depends on the brand, right? So, and I wanna also say that um, for Zippy Paws, our focus is the dogs, right? Like our focus is making dogs happy. So it's not about like who I am. It's not about how I look like. Um, it's about the dogs and, and it's about our customers. So I want to to make that clear too. And spoiler alert, dogs don't care. Dogs don't care what you look like. Although I must say, Birdie doesn't really like men as much. So <laughs> she does care. I mean, 
Bjorn loves me when I wake up in the morning and I look like a hot mess. So I'm going to go ahead and say that dogs probably don't care. And it, I think that that's the fine line that, that we have as a company that you and I have when we're working on any marketing materials or when we're trying to figure out when we speak out against something. I know it, we kind of touched on this already. It's become very popular for brands to, to speak out. And I think that's great. I think that if you're upset about a brand speaking out about something that's only pushing positivity, that's more of a you problem and not so much the brand problem. But I also understand, you know, these just kind of blanket statements that are all the same for every issue. And then you kind of look internally into the brand and you see that they're not practicing what they preach. I think that's a problem. But I think Mm -hmm. with you and I, it's been kind of that fine line of, you know, how do we broach this in a way that is organic and authentic to us? Because it is, it is something important. It is, you know, something that's going on that's very relevant to, to our business because even though politically, you know, you're trying not necessarily to get involved, you're still an Asian American. And I, I don't think that you can be unbothered by something like this. And I think it's doing us or it's doing a disservice to you and to your heritage and to your dad's culture to not speak up. And that's kind of where I draw the line where at the end of the day, if you don't like it tough, go buy another brand of dog toys. Like I think that it, you, it reaches a point where you, you have to take a stand and stand up for what's right in a way that's positive and in a way that's informative. And that's just going to help generate positivity. But for, you know, the very few people that have an issue with it, that's not my problem. I'll, I'll, fight for that till the end um but we've been very lucky in the response to the messaging that we put out and i i monitor our social media channels and we did not receive any negative feedback so i think a lot of it too is we have a very dangerous i don't want to say situation but the media is very polarizing and how they present situations people act like it's this huge widespread us versus them mentality and it can't be that and I'm happy to say that the Zippy Paws audience, we didn't see any of that. We didn't see mass unfollowing. We didn't get canceled. Like, but again, because it was a message that was that was important to us because it was so relevant. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I do, I do want to touch upon that because um, if you are a small business owner, um, I we get you because... It's hard to navigate, right? You you don't necessarily want to um, kind of... uh, Most businesses don't really want to necessarily take a stand in something that's so polarizing, um, whether that's political or social social, um, activism. Um, And I totally get that, right? Because you don't want to like necessarily... alienate anybody for their beliefs because you're just a business like for us we just want to sell dog toys we want to make your dogs happy like we're not here to be like we're this or x or y we're we're our beliefs doesn't matter right like it doesn't really matter um in our core business and i want to keep it that way because zippy paws is not political we if we have a stand Um, our message is we love all dogs you know like all are welcome everybody is welcome to purchase our product Um, we treat everybody the same and 
so there's it's really hard to kind of like take a stand because you don't want to alienate anybody but i don't think it should be polarizing to take a stand against um against hate right against um, treating other people just based on um how they look like like that should not be political at all like you should Nobody should be like, well, that company is standing up for Asians and I don't like that or something like, how is that? How is that? Okay. Yeah. You yeah. know, so I, I don't think anything that we would say is political at all. So, yeah, but I have seen, I think we've all seen brands that, that hop on a train of, you know, we're anti this and then they get held accountable for their business practices in the past of, well, are you hiring fairly? Are you practicing what you preach? And that's, that's an example of, you know, if you see brands doing that, call them out. Mm -hmm. I think that that is just, there's a difference between just being an ugly person and holding a brand or a person or an influencer or a celebrity accountable. Yes, I do agree with that because if your brand is putting out messaging that is different from their business practice, then I think it's uh, you can call them out because if they're not practicing what they preach, um, then they shouldn't be preaching it in the first place. I don't know. It's just it, it's a slippery it, slope. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> so as we kind of you know wrap this up, what what advice would would you give? for what people can do, right? Because I think there are there are layers and I know that you're you're a big proponent of not everybody being an activist. So what are ways that people can can help if they don't necessarily feel comfortable standing on a picket line? Yeah, I think I've thought about this a lot and it's it's really tricky, right? And I understand that it's tricky and uh, I have a lot of mixed feelings about everything like I don't necessarily even have all my thoughts and maybe my thoughts will change like it's just it's crazy right now and I and I want to say that I don't know um about anything you know (laughs) um so I I just want to give kind of like my personal view of it and I'm not really an activist at all. Um, I'm not super active on social media even. Um, I, I like to look at other people's things and I I don't really post too much myself. And I feel like a lot of people are very active and vocal um, on social media, starting a lot of conversations. And I think that's amazing. Um, and this podcast is kind of like my own tiny little contribution um, to the conversation. I, I don't necessarily feel super comfortable posting a lot of things myself. And I think a lot of other people are, um, much better at it and they have a lot more resources than I do. So I don't necessarily feel like I need to, to post a lot of, um, resources because there's so many great resources out there. Um, so that's why I kind of personally don't really get involved and it's very draining to me. Um, so I don't, I don't do it just to preserve myself. I don't know if that's necessarily selfish, um, but it's just how I feel. And, um, I'm going to interject. Sorry. (laughs) I think, I think in, 
in this conversation though, it is, it is draining for you. And I don't think that the burden should necessarily be yours to bear in terms of educating. I think the people that are outspoken activists are amazing, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it should be, it should be a collective effort and it, it shouldn't fall completely on your shoulders to educate people to make a change. I mean, the, the list goes on. It, it's not, yeah. it's not solely up to you. Right. And I think that I'm contributing how uh, much I feel comfortable with and that's all I can ask for anybody else, um, whether you're, you know, of Asian American descent, um, feel free to share what you are comfortable with sharing. And a lot of people have stepped up and shared and I'm on Clubhouse a lot. So I listen to a lot of people and um, it's been nice to hear people about talk about their um, their personal experience. And also a lot of um, non-Asian people are also in this um, in these rooms and um, it's it's nice to know that other people care about our issues so um yeah i'm like happy with how the conversation is going um not happy about why um we're having this conversation but um just try to make the best of it right um and i think like if you're not asian um the what we can do is to the easiest people to do um is as an individual is to to listen right and let people know that they're hurt Uh, i think that's the most powerful thing that we can do as individual people is to start in our own little bubbles and little social circles i don't think we need to like um become an activist or go to congress and and start these laws and like i mean if you if you want to that's amazing um but i don't think the the vast majority of people are like that. Um, and I think a lot of people just want to be heard, right? Just me telling you guys like my experiences um, and and taking that and listening to other people, I think is, is very powerful and like practice empathy, right? Um, just because um, someone is having a Uh, an experience and they're brave enough to open up to you and tell you about it like then that means you people trust you and that's a great thing right um so i always think that listening is um very very important i think and i think kind of taking it a step further too, starting those conversations reaching out to your asian or asian american friends and saying hey how are you doing I think you touched on it earlier. It's not necessarily something in the Asian culture where they're just going to openly come out and speak about this. And I know that I have friends that I'm trying to subtly reach out to and it doesn't have to be a, hey, there's a lot of garbage going on. Do you want to talk about it? It's just simply, hey, how are you doing? And then leading the conversation and, you know, is there anything that I can do to help? Is there anything that you need? Is there anything that I can do better? That's the question that nobody wants to ask because it's inevitably going to, you know, you run the chance of having somebody actually give you feedback, but you have to, if you're going to ask that question, you have to be prepared to take feedback. We are all human. None of us are perfect. And communication is a dance. It's a back and forth dance. And you have to, every time you dance with a different partner, 
it's going to be a different situation. You have to learn how they move. You have to learn their rhythm. And I think that as human beings, when we communicate with one another, we need to be able to to read the room, to understand that our friends are being quiet. And, you know, maybe they're quiet because they're overwhelmed. And I think that facilitating a conversation where some, where you can be an outlet for someone is is just as important as posting on social media and it's Mm -hmm. just as important as you know walking in these huge protests I don't think there's a there's not a scale to being helpful in a situation like this because every little bit builds listening to someone and and in turn also inspiring other people to do the same I think um I've had a an interesting I have an interesting perspective for this one because you know, half of my mom's family is Filipino. I love them dearly. I'm very proud of my culture on that side. But I also get people on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, sending me very hateful things. And these people don't even understand. They don't know that that's part of my culture. So I, people are comfortable coming to me being hateful Mm -hmm. and people are comfortable coming to me to talk about their experiences. And I, I see both sides. So I know it's real and it's just it it's it's hard to grasp right but i think when people are coming to you with ugly rhetoric that's when you have an opportunity to be really brave and that's when you say hey listen that's not acceptable um it's not cool to speak that way or you can go so far as to say hey this is really disrespectful i don't think you you understand, right? And those are conversations that nobody wants to have with their friends. I have plenty of friends who say really, really inappropriate things and I'm guilty of letting it slide because I know they're joking. But I think that that's something that that I can improve on, right? Like it's not, it might be funny because you think you're coming from a funny place, but it's still offensive. And I don't, I don't even like to have those conversations with people. I don't want to be the one that's like, you can't do that. But by being that kind of a person, you know, you kind of become complicit in what they're doing and it leads up to a boiling point. And then we have, you know, Asian elders getting knocked over in the street. So saying something is as quick as, or as simple as shutting an ugly conversation down is more monumental than people think it is. Um, I a hundred percent agree with that. And I've had um, periods in my life where people have said, stuff like that and i wish that my friends um who are uh, sometimes it's a lot of asian asian guys also being very racist against asian girls i don't know why that happens but it does happen and i wish that my um friend my guy friends who are asian would have stood up for me you know and not just laughed along with it you know um so I 100% agree that like even stopping a joke or conversation like you don't know how much that would have helped somebody who's in that situation right and it is hurtful um and I kind of have a example for this it's kind of like the when um years ago when we would say like oh that's gay or that's retarded you know and it's not coming from a bad place like you're not making fun of a disabled person or a homosexual person like that's not you're not putting them down but it's the rhetoric right like you don't want to associate gay with 
any type of adjective you're right? attaching a negative connotation to a word that describes right. a group of people yeah exactly and that's kind of like the point i'm trying to make is like if somebody is making these kind of jokes or like if your friend is going up to asian girl and saying um konnichiwa or something and she doesn't look amused you can be like hey bro i don't think she likes that you know simple as that and you know you can just help them to understand that like it's not really cool to say these kind of things um I mean, I know you're not coming from a hateful um, point of view, but let's just like talk about something else, you know? Um, so simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I that's think a we mic so- drop. <laughs> I think we solved the situation. Boom. Just be, be nice. Yeah. I If it was that easy. Yeah. It's, it's so sad how like people have been so vocal about... Um, you know, hate against everything, um, whether that's like based on race or politics or anything, or sex um, or religion. I mean, it. Yeah, we're the world is big. The world is big, and you have to give people space to be themselves. But I think within that, there's a line. If the person is being themselves and they're an ugly person, try to teach them to be otherwise. <laughs> Try, try to help guide them in a direction that allows them to be who they are in a way that's not infringing on the rights of other people. Yes, exactly. Like, it, it's not about, like, cancel cult- culture, really. It's about, like, holding people responsible um, for their actions, right? Like, you can't be mean to somebody and then nobody speaks up, right? Like, you can't, we can't be talking about free speech. Like, yes, you can say mean things but there are consequences right so um it's like a balance and we're not saying like nobody can say anything it's just try to be nice to people try to be nice to people come on yes like if you want to say something really nasty hold it in go home have a margarita sit on it and think about if that's what you really want to say or if you needed a margarita (laughs) okay so i think we've solved all of the issues um and the answer is margaritas the answer is always margaritas i i I wish it was that easy but uh yeah for everyone that is still listening um and that made it through this podcast thank you i think it it veered a little bit from from what we normally talk about but i'm proud of us for talking about it i'm proud of you for talking i'm always proud of you though but i'm proud of you for talking about it and uh yeah, I'm I'm happy to talk about it. Um, I think I was like a little nervous because I don't know how people will react and uh, I don't know why I was nervous. I shouldn't be. Um, it's just talking about my personal experience. But um, I just hate how political everything has gotten and I don't want to come off as that way. And I want to thank everybody um, for listening to me. And um, if you want to talk to me about your own experience you can just dm me on instagram and we can start a conversation and if you say anything nasty i will be the one responding (laughs) i'm like your 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 live-in pit bull yes 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 i'm like attack (laughs) 
But if you do want to boop that follow button, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, which I highly recommend you don't follow, at Dog Mom Podcast. And we're supposed to be promoting pod. our things. We're not supposed to be telling other people don't want I'm just going to omit YouTube. So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Dog Mom Podcast and our website at www.zippypaws.com backslash Dog Mom Podcast. And if you want to, we're also on YouTube. Yeah, and then we'll be back to our um, regular schedule or regular um, content next time. So hopefully we don't have to talk about anything heavy for a little bit because um, Let's hope. it's draining. Yeah. yeah. But thanks for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>